0: OK, uh, I'd like to <laughs> welcome everyone, order of the court, um, uh, to, uh, after a long hiatus, the uh, first in-flesh education forum for some time um, on the subject of uh, should the classroom be um, politically um, neutral, um, which is an extremely tricky um, and also very important um, issue for us to try and get some clarity on uh, as best we can um, today, and I'm sure we're going to make um, uh, a start on that, and probably not provide definitive answers, but let's get started on that anyway. Um, so uh, the session is going to run till 8:30, um, and one of our speakers needs to get off uh, promptly. Um, so I'm going to. Uh, stick to that, to that timing and I've asked our speakers who I'll introduce in a second um, just to introduce for five minutes and I'm going to keep them to um, five minutes so that there's plenty of time for um, debate and discussion and points um, from the floor. Uh, so speaking in this order, I'll begin uh, to my left with Ian Mitchell. Ian Mitchell is an English literature and psychology teacher and uh, a writer for Teachwire and a member of the Academy of Ideas Education Forum. Following uh, in to my immediate right, Bryony Hoskins, who is a professor of comparative social science at the University of Roehampton and author of Education, Democracy, and Inequality: Political Engagement um, and Citizenship Education in Europe. Uh, following Brian. Ian Burns, to my far left, who's a religious studies teacher uh, and ethics teacher. Um, and then uh, next to Bryony, uh, Liz Morse, uh, who uh, is, chief, is the chief executive of the Association for C- Citizenship um, Teaching. And then finally to my far right, Zara Qureshi, who's the project manager of the Aquano Project uh, and a co-founding member of the Free Speech Uh, So we've got a fantastic panel, uh, and we're very honoured to have such great speakers with us today. Um, Ian, would you like to kick us off?
1: Thank you you very much for coming. Um, About 10 years ago, I I was involved in delivering some extracurricular lessons at my school. The idea was to devise a talk with a cross-curricular theme. So I put this session together about the Hiroshima bomb and... Uh, Some literature, some theories on psychology and group dynamics, this sort of thing. Um, And a poster went up to advertise the talks and um, the next day uh, a teacher stopped me in a common room and said um, he said, now look here old boy, he said, Um, this is an independent school, by the way, so it's about a bit lame. Look here old boy, he said "Um, about this Hiroshima talk, I do hope you are not going to give the boys a lot of left-wing nonsense about how dropping the Hiroshima bomb was unethical and morally wrong. My uncle, he said, only survived a Japanese prisoner of war camp because of that bomb. And it's actually it's a, a good thing it happened. So I don't want you saying anything like that to the boys. Now, before I tell you how I responded, I want to use this example to draw out some of the relevant things which I think are relevant when we talk about education being politicized. Uh, Firstly, it doesn't take much to politicise something. As soon as this teacher had said what he said, the talk felt political, even though it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be a historic thing, you know, research focused, but it turns out that actually uh, there's very little you can say that, that can't be rendered political by somebody. Um, secondly, it's all too easy to characterise another person by what you imagine their political views to be. Uh, this teacher had not spoken to me before, uh, and he didn't again, um, but he presumed to know my politics. Now, I have to be honest, here, I mean, I've made this error many times myself, as all four you do. Thirdly, when we talk about politicisation, I think what we often mean is other teachers or adults impart their bias. My politics is neutral, you know, I'm kind of political ground zero, uh, and everyone else is mistaken. Lastly, uh, this teacher assumed that the boys in the session would be influenced by what he saw as my perceived political bias. And I contest strongly that teachers really influence young people's views as much as they think. I think teachers want to believe the fallacy may be that it's not genetics or upbringing that influence uh, the children in their care, but it's them. Um, but I actually think ultimately... Um, young people think for themselves. So this brings me to what I said to the teacher, and it's really my main point tonight. I said to him, look, these students are perfectly able to form a view of their own. They won't believe anything just because I tell them, don't worry too much about it. Now that doesn't answer the question directly. Before the should in tonight's question, you have to establish the could. So can the classroom be politically neutral as the 1996 Education Act requires? I don't know what political neutrality is. Uh, I don't even know what left and right wing means anymore. I think balance is desirable, but to achieve it, you'll sometimes have to be one-sided. For instance, I've had several discussions in the last year uh, with with students about the Israel-Palestine conflict. What quickly emerges is that they often have quite a politically biased outline, in my opinion, um, with little idea of, for instance, who Hamas are, Um, uh, or what they stand for but on the other hand I think if they say what they think you can at least someone will challenge them sooner or later Um, you might not get to a neutral position but I think you'll get back to a neutral position you'll you'll get some sort of challenge so one of the good things about young people is that they tend to say what's on their mind a bit more so you can find out it is hard to escape politicisation in education I went to the Globe Theatre a few years ago with some students to see Macbeth. Now, there's that bit after the murder of Duncan when the the porter was drunk and he's going to open the door. And bizarrely, the uh, porter, there's a brilliant performance up to this point, dropped in this line about Donald Trump. Uh, It's obviously a Shakespeare play, and it it was bizarre, and the students were talking about it afterwards. So you're kind of drawn into this sometimes, a bit difficult to avoid. And the other thing is the library. I mean, if you want politically neutral, what are you going to stock your library with? Which books, which contemporary writers in particular? Um, and then a quick list here of some of the writers in the library at my school. Oliver James, Helen Lewis, René Rideau-Lodge, Stephen Pinker, Edward Said, Roger Scruton, Paul Mason, Ethel Hirsch, Douglas Murray, Jordan Peterson, Owen Jones. Now, I don't know where the neutrality is after reading all of that lot, but maybe it's just a good thing if they read the books, make up their own mind... And I think the point really is, have some confidence in young people to make have a mind of their own. They won't believe what teachers say just because they are teachers. They'll believe you when you say that hard work pays off because it makes sense to them. But just even, if our, even if 75% of teachers are main voters, I wouldn't necessarily assume that's going to influence the voting positions of, of, of young people. Um... I do draw the line at inciting young people to act politically, especially in school time when there's a protest on. But if a teacher wants to express sympathy for Extinction Rebellion, then, then let them. Sometimes it's the students anyway who show the most common sense with some of these political debates. Um, I'd like to finish with a maybe a slightly contentious view, but I'm going to say it anyway, because in my view, Michael Gove has done more than a lot of politicians to keep the classroom politically neutral. His A-level reforms have made things so much tougher. I don't think there's much time for anything else other than the the, the content. Um, He's made sure that learning is rigorous and challenging and based on established knowledge. So I have a lot of concerns with top-down political interference in the classroom. Sex and relationships education, for instance, I think is a waste of time and money. But um, in terms of political neutrality, I think you're going to get a rather clumsy uh negotiation of of what that term means in the end but um that's that's as much as we can hope for okay excellent thank you very much barbie
2: thank you so i'm an academic so i start from a research perspective uh, as would be expected. So uh, from my own research uh, that I do on young people uh, and political engagement, I know that open classroom climate or open environment for discussion is absolutely critical in the, for young people to learn political engagement. So both their attitudes, values and uh, political knowledge is developed through that discussion process. We know this through following the same young people over many years, and pre and post, and we can follow right up to when they're voting that this is critical, Uh, and also comparative with other countries. So this is totally critical uh, for the learning process. And the young people that it's most critical for are for those uh, from disadvantaged backgrounds. Because it's typically uh, these young people who have less of these experiences in the home environment and don't get that opportunity to, uh, or get less opportunity to voice their opinion and hear other perspectives. And so it's totally critical for uh, disadvantaged young people. And then it's also critical how you run a discussion. So what we've uh, seen from our research is that uh, the classrooms can be dominated by uh, the young boys and sometimes the young boys are not always so respectful to the young girls in the room. And what we've seen is that uh, these discussions uh, enhance the political self-confidence of uh, uh, young boys and it reduces the self-confidence of young girls. So how the debate is going on in the room is totally critical, and uh, it's very important in order to, uh, to reduce the gender gap and to make sure that we uh, also get uh, disadvantaged young people engaging in politics the same amount as uh, their more advantaged uh, peers. But this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, an open discussion doesn't necessarily mean that all arguments are equally valid. For example, if we look at discussions on uh, climate change or vaccinations, the school should really be about evidence-based arguments and that we should really be starting in the schools from where the knowledge and the science is. As an academic who works in a scientific way, then I uh, uh, very much see that this is an important part of education uh, and that we should uh, stand behind this within schools. Also, I think that we have certain values like gender equality or human rights that we... uh, value within the UK, they're in the UK law, and that if uh, young people are expressing a position which is discriminatory or uh, misogynistic, then it's necessary that a teacher should uh, explain to the young people that uh, this perhaps is uh, not a, the appropriate way to to position themselves. Um, the question then is really how do we deal with these positions when they're presented in class? So what works and uh, what is effective. And I'm not uh, totally sure that I have all the answers on this. Uh, A lot uh, more research uh, should be done, but it's about thinking what's effective for the students and their learning, what's effective for the also for the parents and the community and to make sure that the community also are involved in these discussions uh, and the parents as well because we're all part of the same society and we all need to be uh, engaged in these discussions. Uh, and it could be useful to pre- present the classroom as being a possible place to, to be neutral. It could be tact- tactical to be able to do this, but I agree with the colleague that it almost impossible to be politically neutral. The very fact of the saying that you're being balanced and putting two sides of an argument, this is very liberal and it's a liberal value-based approach in itself. So to be totally neutral and balanced, it's for me, this concept here is. Impossible from an academic perspective, but it can be useful as a a tactic within a a classroom uh, in order that uh, students or parents or the community feel all the voices listened to. Uh, And other times, it might be better to start from the knowledge and the evidence. So for me, it's uh, that I, as an academic, I look at the evidence, finds, uh, and uh, discover what is happening. So I know that parents are totally critical, in how students view this is one of the clear things that comes from the, the data. Looking at young people, we don't know less about teachers, so I don't have all the answers to this. I'm very happy that there are lots of teachers, practitioners here in order to be able to discuss this today. But I just to uh, close, I think it's totally critical that we teach and develop students who are able to listen to other opinions and to reflect and respect each other and to be able to look critically uh, at uh, knowledge and information, for example, on social media and to be able to uh, uh, find out what is uh, useful and uh, develop their opinions from that.
0: Thank you very much, Barney. Thanks. Uh, Ian? Thanks. Uh,
3: Gosh, it's a lot more ready now, and we haven't really started. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm in the classroom, and um, so most of my stuff is, is anecdotal. Um, but I was intrigued by a lot of things that you were saying, by both of you. I spoke to my daughter last night. Oh, yeah. She's 16, and I told her I was going to be talking about this topic. She so Sounds interesting. What's that about? You know. And so I said, well, teachers obviously can't be perfectly politically neutral. But should they not aspire to? Should they not try, and, as you touched on, you know, encourage students to become activists and so on and so forth? They should be at least trying to present as broad a viewpoint diversity base as possible on any and all issues. And she said, "Yeah, they should." <laughs>
0: uh, okay, let's go to the
3: pub then. <laughs> <laughs> go on. <home>, yeah. <laughs> So what's the issue? <laughs> so I've read some of the stuff that we looked at, and I've worked with people from Prevent, and I've worked in schools up in, in Norfolk, where you had like 99% white British, and there was a certain amount of, let's uh, say, like EDL-flavoured attitudes um, that I was dealing with all the time. Because I teach RS, I think I was accounting it a lot more than my colleagues were. So I'm used to coming across all sorts of uh, difficult... Opinions and I try to elicit them. I want the kids <laughs> to say what they think, um, and it's, that's hard. And I was thinking about well, sorry for that. Riding. what Brian was just saying. And I was thinking of a friend, a colleague of mine recently did a consent lesson on PSAT. and a young Muslim lad expressed the idea that if a woman was drunk, well, she'd invite it on herself. I know that's a view that I would want to challenge, I'm sure we all would. But at the same time, I'm thinking that is where he's coming from. That's the culture that he's been brought up in. And that's something we have to address in terms of conservative attitudes, not just amongst Muslims, but amongst any culture that has this sort of honour-based ethics, or honour-based morality. Um, So whilst I would always say that without liberal humanism, without the idea that every individual has inherent human rights and must be treated with dignity and respect and that that must be the premise of any discussion that happens in the classroom, um, you're going to bring out difficult stuff. And you want to bring out difficult stuff. Um, so there's that. There's also, the school that I'm working in, and I think a lot of schools, there's now perceived orthodoxy that's beginning to filter through from the universities in terms of political correctness, in terms of what it means to be anti-racist, in terms of what it means to... Uh, what does gender identity mean? And all these sort of like, contentious issues. And some of them are coming through, I think, unchallenged, and they're being put through into policies without staff being prepared, or being capable of really challenging. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that it's counterculture, but sometimes you feel like it's being uh, directed in that fashion. And um, that worries me. Because I think, just as you are saying, the children are capable of making up their own mind if they're given a quality education and presented with all the evidence and getting into the nuance of the arguments. And if they learn to steal man properly, the opposition's point of view, then they might learn more about their own uh, prejudice and so forth. I think there is also a question of do we trust teachers? And do we trust teachers to be um, you know, professional in, their, in what they're doing? And I think there's a suspicion, I think, amongst the public that maybe we are indoctrinating To some degree, and I think we have to be very careful of that. So, my my finishing point for that is it is the moral duty of every teacher to provide a politically neutral space and a politically neutral classroom, as imperfect as that may be. um, That, I
0: think, is our job. Lovely, thank you very much. Um, Liz.
4: Thanks so much. I'm going to pick up the theme of trust, actually, because that's where I wanted to start. At the Association for Citizenship Teaching, we are a teaching association. We work with teachers all the time. And um, this uh, so-called culture war in classrooms idea, I don't really recognise because the teachers that we work with are quite nervous often of tackling these sensitive and controversial and highly political issues. And they're looking for support. They don't want to be in breach of our current legislation. They don't want to be the victim of um, a parental attack, which we know, sadly, sometimes happens. And so um, I think it's interesting that when we look at um, the sort of evidence base of who is trusted in society, actually teachers do still come up there as being some of the most trusted um, individuals and professionals in society, much more trusted than politicians or journalists. Um, for the vast majority of people when they're asked about that issue. And I think that's important because we do hold... um, We we send our children to school with a good deal of trust. We want them to be well-educated. We want them to be prepared for work, for life, uh, for the society that they're living and learning in. And part of that preparation, from our perspective, includes... Learning about democracy and how it works, learning about our laws, learning about the makeup of our society, uh, the diversity of identity in this country, and all of the issues that those things bring. And we need well trained, qualified teachers to do that, and we don't have enough of them at the moment. When it comes to political issues, they pop up in all sorts of places in our curriculum. At the moment, I think science teachers are dealing with a lot of the COVID misinformation, disinformation that children are coming across. And those teachers need to be prepared to handle that. And I think often they feel nervous and they want to be sure that they're giving the right information. And so we need to do something, I think, to support teachers better. It's interesting for us as an organisation at the moment, we were recently approach to work with the Welsh government on some guidance around maintaining impartiality um, in education and that's currently published on the Welsh government site, they have a kind of teacher resource site known as Hub um, and we can send that round to colleagues, I think I've sent it Yeah you have, totally yeah. yeah, I can,
5: so if he wants that It's, out, it's it. out
4: at the moment it's it's public, it's still in a, in a slightly draught state because the Welsh government wanted to put it out there for teachers to comment on. One thing that we have learned in um, almost 20 years now of the Association for Citizenship Teaching existing um, is that talking in class about these difficult political issues makes a difference, that an open classroom climate is important, that we want to protect free speech and the open exchange of ideas, Um, and encourage that critical thinking and evidence-based debate that Bryony and others have referred to. And that where that happens, that positively correlates with better outcomes for children, certainly in citizenship, and I, I should think in many other of the humanities and social science subjects. And the classroom, I think, does remain one of the safest spaces in order to have those difficult conversations, because we have trained teachers who, in theory at least, should be well prepared to tackle those issues when they arise and to deal with them appropriately. Um, but we do have some challenges because um, we've also seen an increase in um, the ideas recently of different conspiracy the- theories circulating, particularly amongst young people. And some, um, some recent polling data showed that as many as <coughs> 40% of younger adults, that's sort of the 18 to 25 year old, um, believe that the world is actually controlled by a single group of secret people who are controlling everything that's going on in society. 40% is quite worrying, I would say, and we need to do something about that. We do need our teachers to be able to respond, um, they do need some support in that. They need to know they've got the backing of their head teachers and their senior leadership teams. They need to be confident in their school safeguarding policy so that if they think a child is demonstrating something of concern, they know the road to go down um, to address that, to talk about that or to refer that on if they need to. And certainly um, in citizenship, we don't avoid talking about political issues. We believe that's a central part of educating children about democracy. Um, and that's about parliamentary democracy, about the role of MPs, the role of local government. It's about our laws, our rights, our obligations to each other, how we can live um, better and well together. And I think it's also interesting when you talk to young people about these matters. um, Given the opportunity, many of them are interested in political questions of the day. They see it around them, it's coming up on their smartphones. They've got questions and they want space to answer that. And the idea of having um, places in the curriculum where that happens, it will happen in RA, it will happen in history it needs to happen in citizenship too, where there is proper time given to these matters, they can be explored properly, knowledge developed about issues, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things we have um, been challenging over recent years is some of the pedagogies that have built up around the teaching of issues. Um, We were just having a little pre-panel conversation about this, Sarah and I together. We've been um, working on the idea of what we call the deliberative classroom, and that's to promote a more knowledge-rich, informed basis um, to discussion and debate with children, particularly about those highly sensitive and controversial political issues. Um, The idea is really that we need teachers to be confident in those areas of uh, the issues that are being covered. We need them to take an active role in providing the evidence-based, the facts around the issue um, and to educate children before they dive into developing and forming opinions. We've all been there, haven't we, where we've seen a panel or we've seen a situation where somebody kind of dismisses something and it forces that person who's been dismissed to retrench and dig their heels in even more. And we see that happening with children. If a teacher just dismisses and goes, oh, that's rubbish, you don't want to believe that theory. Where would you get that idea from? If that happens in a classroom, that's actually quite unhelpful and it can further entrench a, a conspiracy or an extreme idea and that's something that we definitely want to avoid. Better sometimes to close it down than to open it up and deal with it in a different way. Other times a professional judgment is needed and you need to open it up and deal with it in a more balanced way and in a more nuanced way. Final point, then, is that um, we have done some research. We did a project for the Home Office a couple of years ago um, called Building Resilience in the Classroom. And this was around some of the prevent-type agendas, um, looking at how children were responding to issues of extremism in society. And the interesting thing, or one of the most interesting things there for us was children reporting back and questioning why they hadn't been told about this earlier. We were dealing with sort of 14, 15-year-olds in this project. They were saying, well, why has it taken till now for us to have these conversations, for us to have the opportunities to learn about these important topics of the day? They wanted it earlier, and they wanted it more regularly. And we've seen that in uh, the pieces of work that we've been doing. I think I'll stop there. OK, brilliant.
0: No, no, thank you very much. Well, we'll come back in a second, Zara.
5: Hi, um, I guess I come from the perspective of a young person that wasn't, in, that wasn't in the classroom not too long ago. Um, I've had my fair share of issues which have led me to uh, find my own answers. But, and when it comes to political neutrality in the classroom, in general, um, I do think that the definition is clumsy, like you said, but I want to talk about how we approach political neutrality today. Um, in general, when we talk about uh, political neutrality, we talk about it from a point of view of disengagement. So disengagement and taking sides with one particular uh, idea or multiple ideas. Um, a classic example of this would be a university lecturer teaching the course syllabus without making known their political um, meanings. Or like if a fighter would ask their teacher, you know, what do you think of Donald Trump? The teacher would do their absolute best to kind of sweep that question underneath the rug and um, So you could say, in in some way, it's an active attempt to achieve some sort of political apathy. Um, And I think sometimes this is preferable, especially when it comes to young children. Um, I think some uh, politically charged ideas are just way too complex to be teaching young children. And like white privilege, um, I think they'd be better off understanding basic concepts and and values first. Um, And with white privilege, if you're going to teach deeply intricate and complex ideas, And if you put aside legal restrictions and the Education Act for a second, you actually create more problems, both practically speaking and pedagogically speaking, than you do solving any. Um, For example, I don't think you can talk about white privilege without talking about statistical disproportionalities, uh, identity, and complex um, power play within identity. And to be honest with you, that's a lot of uh, content um, for a primary school PSHCE class. It's kind of like teaching differentiation to a group of people. You know the dy by dx thing that you learn in economics uh, before you actually teach them how to add and subtract. Um, and as I said, you probably want them to teach. Uh, you probably want to teach what it means to be human and explore identity first. So that once this foundational knowledge is built, the students can one day explore concepts like Peggy McIntosh's white privilege more tactfully. However, when I think <coughs> when it comes to universities, I feel differently. Uh, when it comes to teaching and learning. I'm not necessarily referring to bureaucratic processes uh, at universities. I'm talking to, you know, I'm talking about uh, what happens in the classroom, so the actual exchange of knowledge. Um, so the type of political neutrality that I spoke about was from a point of view of disengagement, but I think this is now counterproductive to students' intellectual development. Universities are symbolic of a young adult's intellectual and personal growth and development into the real world um, because of the functional purposes of university. And one of these functional purposes of universities is to allow students to contend with difficult ideas. So how do we do this best? Firstly, to contend with difficult ideas, you need to put as many as you can on the table. Therefore, obtaining political neutrality through the act of disengagement is probably not the best solution, but obtaining political neutrality through engagement is. Obtaining political neutrality in the classroom should be done by widening ideological diversity, so as not to preferentially favour one idea over the other. So everything is out there in the open. The goal here isn't necessarily to achieve a a perfect balance or equilibrium of ideas, although this can happen. The real world isn't a debate club. Um, Ideas are more than just for and against, as as my fellow panellists have um, mentioned. Um, and the goal here is to actually explore the nuances and the grey areas that different ideas can bring and the potential solutions to problems that they may have. Um, I want to tie things up with drawing on my own experiences that I had at university not too long ago. I studied politics and modern foreign languages, and a lot of my lectures were critical theorists, post-structuralists and post-modernists, and by extension that was a lot of the content that we were learning. I did find that to be problematic though, um, although it did get boring at times. Um, The problem is when these ideas can't be debated or contended with by students or other academics. In my experience, this primarily stemmed from the attitudes my lecturers and teachers had. What they say goes. I remember being in a tutorial with a (coughs) tutor who had asked me to leave the classroom for supposedly supposedly disrupting the class by asking too many questions that were critical of his viewpoint. I don't agree, but um, not knowing any better at the time, I, I left. I, I, I respected you know, what he said. And um, little did I know that was the start of me becoming socially unlikable among my peers in my class. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I started to keep my thoughts to myself. Um, so if there is a solution, even a partial one, to obtaining political neutrality in the classroom, at universities in particular, engagement with as many possible ideas as can a sound one.
0: Excellent, thank you very much. Um, Okay, I'm going to go straight out. Um, I just want to kind of pose one question.